Thanks for downloading this podcast from Burghead Free Church in Murray, Scotland. We exist to know Jesus and make Jesus known. Our vision is to grow to be a vibrant all-age church of 100 disciples. Find out more at burgheadfreechurch.org. Reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verse 36. Page 1036 in the Pew Bibles, but it's on your blue sheet. In the Bible it's uh, titled, Jesus Anointed by a Sinful Woman. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had any money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came to your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amen. May God bless to us this reading of his word. Father, we've sung of as someone who cried to you in their need. And Father, as we look at this story of a woman who cried to you in her need. Help us to be those who are willing to hear what you have to say. Indeed, help us to be those who will cry to Jesus in our need. And we pray in his name. Amen. Well, I sat across the table from her. The atmosphere was highly charged and she eyeballed me intently. It was week four of the Christianity Explored course. Uh, Christianity Explored is it's a seven-week course. It, it takes people through uh, not Luke's gospel but Mark's gospel, exploring the life of Jesus. And that particular week we had been studying the, the death of Jesus on the cross. And I was explaining what I thought was wonderfully good news, that, that Jesus is able and willing to forgive anyone, anything they've done, no matter how terrible, 
if they'll come to him in sorrow and repentance and ask for his help. That was the main point of the evening. I was explaining it with a, with a smile on my face, but she wasn't smiling back. Her face became more and more concerned. And then she said, are you really saying that there can be forgiveness for anyone, for anything they've done? What about those people who have done terrible things? What about the terrorists? What about the paedophile? Surely you don't mean them, do you? The room was quiet. And after a pause, I said to her, well, yes, I think that's exactly what Jesus is saying. And when I said that, she wasn't at all happy. To her, this was not good news. Sometimes people do get very, very upset when you say things like that. Sometimes they think it's scandalous that Jesus would say something like that. And uh, we're only two minutes into this talk and maybe you feel the same. So what's going on here in this story? Jesus forgives a woman of very dubious character. Well, look, as, as we look at this amazing incident, I think there are three misunderstandings about the Christian faith that it clears up. Three things. And here's the first. Some people say... I'm too bad to be forgiven. Some people say, I'm too bad to be forgiven. Maybe that's the way you feel. I could never come to God because oh, you don't know what I've done. And he wouldn't want anything to do with me now. Maybe that's how you feel. Well, let's look closely at the story. It begins uh, on your sheet in verse 36, where it says, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. There's nothing particularly spectacular about that. Jesus is out to dinner with a Pharisee who is a religious leader. And then into this uh, civilized, respectable dinner party crashes the most unwelcome guest. Verse 37. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume as she stood behind him at his feet weeping. Now look, be under no illusions. When it says she was a sinful woman, that is almost certainly a euphemism. She was almost certainly a prostitute, known by everyone in this small village, and known only too well by certain men in the village, known only too well in certain homes in the village where she left a trail of destruction. After dark, you'd find her standing on street corners in disreputable parts of town, dressed to kill. That is who walked into this civilised, respectable dinner party. And look, for us to be as shocked by this as we should be, we really need to lose the idea that, that somehow to be a prostitute is a sort of carefree, fun, adventurous sort of a life. Hers was a miserable 
dirty, seedy life. So as you read the passage, the picture behind Jesus, a woman caked in oily makeup, cheap jewellery, an unstable personality, possibly a drug habit. Imagine her as someone with, with a vacant, haunted look in her eyes and needle marks on her arms. That's who was standing behind Jesus. She'd have been a a hardened, cynical, toughened character. Life had knocked her back again and again. She was the sort of person who had been used and abused by too many. That's who was standing behind Jesus at this civilised dinner party. And maybe now you you start to, to feel the shock and the overwhelming embarrassment, even the complete outrage of this Scene when that woman walked in, it stopped being an ordinary dinner party. And it's not just that, that this kind of a woman crashes the party, it's what she does when she gets there. It's verse 38. She stood behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. There she is kissing and pouring stuff all over him. And all the time, Jesus just sits there and lets her. Maybe you can imagine that the reaction from the other guests at the dinner party, people around the table tutting under their breath. Really? I mean, who does she think she is coming in here dressed like that? What What does she think she's doing behaving this way to this holy teacher? Really? What a way to carry on. Maybe you can imagine how the Pharisee felt. This was his dinner party in his house, ruined. Allowing a prostitute to wash your feet with her tears midway through your coco van, or whatever it was they were eating. Frankly, this is too much for some people. Surely you're not saying that the murderer or the terrorist or the prostitute can come to Jesus and be forgiven. That I cannot accept. But do you see that this is exactly what it is saying? That's how the story ends. That's the punchline, if you like. Verse 48, Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And so while some people think that's outrageous news, Other people know it is wonderfully good news. So if you think, I'm too bad to be forgiven and accepted by Jesus, if that's how you think, well, this is good news for you. See, if this woman, having lived the life she has, can be forgiven by Jesus, then you can too. See, the Christian faith is is not for people who think they're good enough. It's for people who know they're not. So maybe that is how you feel. Do, Do you feel you're too bad to be forgiven? And maybe you, like this woman, have had sexual encounters of which you are terribly ashamed. And look, whatever the sin, whether it's sexual or not, do you feel you're too bad to be forgiven? Jesus says... You're not. Jesus says he can do it. You see from this encounter that that when you come humbly to Jesus, 
needing his help, there is nothing that is too bad to be forgiven. Isn't that good news? Anyone can come to Jesus and have the past, their slate, wiped clean. So that's the first misunderstanding about the Christian faith. I'm too bad to be forgiven. No, you're not. But there is a second, and here it is, a second misunderstanding. I'm too good to need forgiving. That, you see, is how the Pharisee thought. At the dinner party has been wrecked. He's beside himself. He's thinking, surely Jesus can't be a prophet if he's letting this woman touch him. You see it there in, in verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. This Pharisee, he's a respectable religious man, and he'd invited Jesus to dinner because he thought he he might be a prophet. He thought Jesus might be a special religious man. But now this whole affair has called Jesus' credentials into serious question. More than one or two families in this town have been torn apart by this woman's handiwork. And as far as the Pharisee is concerned, anyone who has anything to do with God will have nothing to do with a woman like this. If Jesus were a prophet, how could he let this sort of a woman anywhere near him? This is a woman who's broken God's law, hasn't she? But before you think the same way as the Pharisee, have a look at the three words that Jesus says next in verse 40, little number 40. Jesus answered him. Which is completely astonishing. And actually we saw the same thing last week with the story of the paralysed man. This Pharisee had not said a word out loud. Verse 39, all all the stuff, all, all this stuff about how can Jesus let a woman like this touch him. All of that was going on inside his head. Do you see it there in verse 39? He said to himself. And then, verse 40... Jesus answered him. Now that really is quite shocking. Jesus knows what we're thinking. What a shock for the Pharisee. No sooner has he concluded that this guy can't really be a prophet, and the next moment Jesus can read his thoughts. And that's very scary, isn't it? Can you see what this means? Jesus Christ knows the deepest thoughts of our hearts. He knows the motives that drive us. He knows our thoughts of envy and greed and malice. He's seen my inner thoughts of rage and anger. He's seen us lust after someone else's spouse. He knows what we're like. It's very scary, isn't it? And it's getting very personal for this Pharisee. See, when it's my thought life that's being listened to, well, then I'm in very deep water. It's getting very personal. Until this point, notice that that the Pharisee has remained nameless, but now we find out his name because it's getting personal. You see verse 40? Jesus answered him, Simon. Simon. 
I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? I've never been great at maths. I sneaked through my exams by a whisker and with the help of a tutor. Um, and I dropped the subject as soon as I could. However, I've had the time of the benefit of time to prepare for this. So let me be your currency converter when it comes to this story that Jesus tells. The smaller amount, 50 denarii, was about a month and a half's wages. And uh, so since the, the average salary in the UK is something like £26,000, the equivalent today would be something like £3,000 in today's money. And so therefore the larger amount, 500 denarii, would be something like £30,000 in today's money. Now look, I call the £3,000 the smaller amount. Of course the reality is that that both of these sums, whether it's 30000 or 3000 both of them are, are significant amounts of money. So imagine if you did owe someone three grand and you'd lost your job and times were hard and you were virtually bankrupt and you couldn't pay. And the person to whom you owed the money saw this and looked on you kindly and wiped out your debt. You'd be relieved, wouldn't you? You'd be delighted. It was a significant sum you couldn't repay. And yet, of course, if you owed 30 grand in the same situation and your debt was cancelled, wouldn't you be even more relieved and even more delighted? And so the question Jesus asks is not a difficult one, is it? Which of them will love him more? The answer is obvious. It's the one with the bigger debt. Even my four-year-old could get that right. But see how reluctant Simon is to answer. Verse 43, Simon replies... I suppose the one who had the bigger debt. I suppose. Now, why the reluctance? <coughs> well, look, he knows this little story is leading somewhere. Jesus has a point to make. It's getting personal. It's as if Jesus said, Simon, two people owed a debt. And it's blatantly obvious where Jesus is going. In fact, apart from Jesus, there have only been two people mentioned in the story so far. The prostitute and the Pharisee, Simon. And so Jesus says, Simon, two people owed a debt. Simon, you're one of them. Simon, you're in debt. Simon... You think so highly of yourself, but Simon, your spiritual bank balance is not in such great shape, you know. Simon, you're a debtor. Simon, you're a sinner. Simon seemed very religious. He seemed a very respectable man. He didn't even seem particularly hostile to Jesus. He'd invited him around for dinner after all. But Jesus says, Simon... You're a sinner. Your debt may not be as great as the prostitute, but you're a spiritual debtor all the same. And if, you, and if Jesus was able to say that to Simon, you can bet your bottom dollar that Jesus would say it to us 
as well. Simon seems so very respectable, but, he, but Jesus says he was in debt to God. Now look, Simon was not a malicious, hardened atheist. He didn't, as far as I know, run over old grannies deliberately on busy roads. And most likely, this is as close to a prostitute as he has ever been. Which is a reminder to us that it is perfectly possible to seem quite respectable. Even to be the kind of person who seems to show some respect to Jesus. Maybe even attend church a few times a year just to keep in the good books. And yet miss the point. Miss the point that Jesus says we are all sinners. And we don't like to see ourselves that way. And maybe it's because, like Simon the Pharisee, we can always find someone else who is worse than us. Someone to look down on, to make us feel better about ourselves. I don't want to betray my viewing habits too much, but I, I reckon that's the secret behind the success of shows like Jeremy Kyle. If you've never seen it, please don't take this as your invitation to start watching. But in the Jeremy Kyle show, we get presented with people whose sins are obvious. People whose lives are, are dysfunctional. People like this prostitute. And if we're honest, don't we enjoy the warm glow of watching those progr programs? Because we enjoy the feeling of looking down on others. They're the sinners. It's them, we say. Simon seemed very religious. You'd never have found him on the Jeremy Kyle show. But Jesus said he was a sinner. The sins may be different, but at heart, at heart, Simon, you're no different. You're no different to the prostitute. You see Jesus' point? There may very well be people who are worse than me, but I'm still in Jesus' debt. I'm still in debt so far up to my neck that I can't repay it. That's why Jesus told this story, to show Simon his debt, his sin. And to say, Simon, it's no good hiding behind respectability or religion. There's no good hiding behind the sin of others in order to excuse yourself. There are people then, like the prostitute, who think they are too bad to be forgiven. They're not. But there are also people like Simon who think they're too good to need forgiving, but they're not. And finally, and very briefly, there is one last misunderstanding. It is this. Jesus forgives me so I can live as I like. Verse 44. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I love that. <laughs> Ever since she walked in, Simon has seen nothing else. He has not been able to take his eyes off this woman. Have you seen this woman? But the point is not have you seen her, but have you seen what she has done to me? So halfway through verse 44 again. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume, which was much more expensive, on my feet. The point is this. 
she demonstrated her love for Jesus. And she loved him because she knew what it was like to be forgiven by him. It turns out that, that this woman had, had met Jesus before. We read verse 48 that your sins are forgiven. Most likely she's met him before and he has told her that. It seems that when she met him in the past and her sins were forgiven, it had changed her life completely. That's why she burst into this busy dinner party, despite her sordid life and the respectable company that was there. She'd met Jesus. She'd had the slate wiped clean. She'd had the debt cancelled. And she was so bowled over by this that she just had to see him again. She loved him. Never mind that her actions were a scandal to, to anyone else. And never mind that other people were embarrassed by her extravagant love. Jesus had given her forgiveness. And she was totally overwhelmed by that. And of course, it, it wouldn't have entered her mind to go back to prostitution. She'd been forgiven. And having been forgiven, she wouldn't want to go back into it any more than, than someone dragged from a swirling river would want to dive back in. See, when you're forgiven by Jesus, it changes you. It makes you love him. When you see what it costs for Jesus to buy you forgiveness, it cost him everything. Few years after this incident, uh, Jesus died on a cross. Luke tells us about it in great detail later on in his biography of Jesus. Jesus died on a cross. Why? Well, he did it in order to take upon himself the punishment that our sins deserve. And as Jesus did that, as he died, he said, recorded in another gospel, he said these words It is finished, the job is done. He has paid for sin. He died and he paid our spiritual debt and he finished the job. It's almost as if when, when Jesus died on the cross, he took out a checkbook and, and wrote a check to cancel the debt that, would, that was ours. Except, of course, he wasn't writing a check. He, he, he paid with his life. The price is paid. Forgiveness is free. But it's not cheap. It cost Jesus his life. And anyone who has really received this gift of forgiveness cannot and will not carry on as they always did. We're not transformed overnight and we're not perfect. If you know us, you know that's true. But when you know forgiveness, that this life-changing, life-giving, liberating thing, it changes you. What a thought. What a relief it is to know that you stand right before God, ready to meet him. So let me ask you a very simple question this morning. Do you want to know this kind of forgiveness? You need to know that you are not so bad that you can't receive it. You also need to know that you are not so good that you don't need to receive it. You do. And you need to know that if you do receive it, it will change your life forever. Let's pray.
Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for the good news that Jesus is able to welcome and forgive any who will come to him humbly, knowing their great need. Please, we pray, keep us from being proud people like the religious Pharisee who thought he didn't need Jesus. And help us to be more like this woman who knew she did and knew what it was to experience life-changing forgiveness from Jesus. And help us to be those who are eager and keen and willing to hear more of Jesus from Luke's gospel as we journey through it together. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Please feel free to share this podcast. And if you'd like to be up to date with each week's talk, why not search Burkhead Free Church on your favorite podcast app and hit the subscribe button. For more information, go to burkheadfreechurch.org. Thanks for downloading this podcast from Burghead Free Church in Murray, Scotland. We exist to know Jesus and make Jesus known. Our vision is to grow to be a vibrant all-age church of 100 disciples. Find out more at burgheadfreechurch.org. Thanks for downloading this podcast from Burghead Free Church in Murray, Scotland. We exist to know Jesus and make Jesus known. Our vision is to grow to be a vibrant all-age church of 100 disciples. Find out more at burgheadfreechurch.org. Thanks for downloading this podcast from Burghead Free Church in Murray, Scotland. We exist to know Jesus and make Jesus known. Our vision is to grow to be a vibrant all-age church of 100 disciples. Find out more at burgheadfreechurch.org. Thanks for downloading this podcast from Burghead Free Church in Murray, Scotland. We exist to know Jesus and make Jesus known. Our vision is to grow to be a vibrant all-age church of 100 disciples. Find out more at burgheadfreechurch.org. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them round your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favour and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine.
Uh, well, last spring, uh, my wife Sue and I, we uh, took our first trip to the island of Harrison Lewis. And uh, we, we had a little wooden chalet in the southeast corner. And to get there from Tarbert, we had to take the Golden Road. I don't know if you know it. I'm seeing a few nods around. It's a wonderful but treacherous route. It's a single lane, twisting, rolling, turning, and it gets its name from the exorbitant cost of building it. It was tough for us to safely navigate that road. Um, there were so many blind bends and blind summits. On both sides, there were drops into unforgiving rocky locks, and my heart was often in my mouth along with my stomach, and particularly when we met oncoming traffic. Now, one wrong turn, one rash moment of indecision could cost you your life. But luckily, there were some useful signposts on the way to warn us of dangers ahead, such as... It's an interesting one. Or, uh, or these. We'll be testing you later. I wonder if you know what those are. Flying motorbikes? I don't know. Um, or my personal favourite, which actually was nowhere near Harris. I just like it so much. Um, I thought I'd put that one up. I just like it. I, I can get away with that now because I've reached a certain age. Um, so um, it struck me since how much like life that road is. You know, life is it's full of twists and turns. It's full of ups and downs. One wrong move can be disastrous. It's full of uncertainties. And many times you don't know what's coming around the bend. If you've lived long enough, you know it can be really tough to navigate the road of life. And many people, perhaps some of us sitting here this morning, well, they kind of wish they could start all over again. Uh, they wish they could take a different route, make different decisions. They've perhaps already hit the rocks. Maybe they've taken a few wrong turns but you know, what we have in life, just like on the road, is some useful signposts to help us, just like the Golden Road. But these are given to us by God. And they're signposts to help us navigate the way. And yet there are so many people, including Christians, who've stalled on the road. People who've broken down. Or they've gone over the edge. Why is that? When God gives such clear guidance... Is it that too many of us believe in a God that actually we don't trust? We know the existence of God. We affirm the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. But there's a dislocation between my faith in Jesus Christ to get me to heaven and my faith in him to help me navigate the road of life on earth. And so this morning we're going to look at some signposts to secure living in this third chapter of Proverbs. Now, Proverbs, as many of you will know, it's the book of wisdom, um, written probably by Solomon. The book of wisdom, it's the ability, wisdom, to navigate life. Now, in the words of Dr. Tony Evans, who's a pastor in Dallas, the USA, it's the ability to perceive the true nature of a thing and to implement the will of God regarding it. I just take that in for a second. 
It's a great definition. It's not to do with clever, insightful actions. Um, it's the ability to effectively apply truth to everyday decisions. It's like the sat-nav of life, you know, with God's voice, which would be fantastic, wouldn't it? Solomon knew its importance. In 1 Kings chapter 3, he asked God, don't give me riches, give me wisdom. And although he received both, wisdom was the real treasure. So let's turn to those middle verses that we had read from Proverbs. Verses 5 and 6, chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Now these are great verses for children and they're good verses for adults. Easy to memorize for the children but hard to apply by adults in life. God says, trust me. I know what I'm doing. Trust me. It's going to be okay. Have you ever had anyone say that to you? When I was about 10 years old, I was beginning to be quite a useful goalkeeper at soccer. And uh, I worked so hard training as often as I could. My Uncle Barry, who was five years older than me, I was about 10, he must have been 15, big strapping lad. He got a new ball for his uh, birthday. It was, a, some of you will remember these, it was an old Weber ball, and it was brown leather. We've got a picture of one there. Look at those laces in it. Okay, no wonder, looking at that, it weighed about five pounds. No wonder you needed boots like these to be able to kick the thing. Heavy, great ball. And he said to me, look, I know you want to be a good goalkeeper. He said, come with me down to the park and we'll do some training. Well, I was up for that, so off we went. And we went down to the park and he said, right, this is what you're going to do. So I want you to stand on the goal line. There was a goal mouth there, no net. So, of course, if he scored, who gets to go and fetch the ball? It's me. No net. And he said, stand on that line. I'm going to put the ball on the penalty spot, which is 12 yards from the line I was standing on. And I'm going to walk backwards, and then I'm going to run in. I'll shout, go. I'll run in. I'll shoot. And you've got to come running out as fast as you can and stop it. Well, I looked at my 12 yards. I looked at his four steps. I said, no, no, that's not going to work. And he said, yeah, it will. He says, trust me. Trust me. It'll be okay. So I stood there. And he went, go. And I ran out. And I remember having this sort of strange blood-curdling cry, at least I thought it was blood-curdling, went, and I dived horizontal. And let me tell you, when you're in that position, when you are in that horizontal position, there's no turning back. You're committed. And that ball hit me in the chest so hard, it completely winded me. I think I ended up with six little lace marks imprinted on my chest, and I fell to the ground, and I was panting and couldn't get my brain. <laughs> And I said to him in that voice that you can only bring out when, you, when you're really winded, I said, you did that d deliberately. I'm going to tell mum. No, no, no. He said, no, don't do that. No, he said, look, you were just a bit slow, that's all. He said, let's do it again. Only trust me, be a bit quicker. He says, you know, the only time you get hurt in football is when you don't really throw yourself into it. He says, go for it, you'll be okay. And I did. I trusted him. And we did it again, and this time I ended up with a, a split lip 
and a bleeding nose. And I said, I'm never going to trust you again. I guess what I'm saying is, we've got to be careful who we trust. And here we are in this passage from Proverbs. And God is saying to each one of us, to us here in the building, anybody listening at home, God is speaking to us now. He's saying, trust me. I know what I'm doing. Children, one of the greatest things you can learn is to learn to trust God with all your heart. And adults, one of the greatest things you can learn is to learn to trust God with all your heart. So we come to these verses that are so crucial, so critical for all of life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. That's the NIV translation. I think I prefer the Christian Standard Bible, which in that third line, it says, in all your ways, know him. Not just submit to him, but know him. He knows you. Do you know him? So this morning, I have two questions. The first one is this. What makes the biggest difference in your life? What makes the difference in your life? Whether you're young, old, or in between, what makes the difference? And I'm not going to leave you hanging. The answer is who you trust. That's what makes the difference. Who do you really trust? Ruth trusted Peter and Morag as she fell backward. But do you know what the word in Hebrew for trust really means? I'm not great on Hebrew. I only know this because I looked it up. That word means to totally, utterly depend on something. It means lying helplessly face down on the ground. Your whole weight is supported by the ground. There's none of, it, none of you holding your own weight. And you're giving yourself up completely to the ground. And we need more of that posture in our lives as believers. In good times and in bad. Lord, I'm going to trust you with all my heart all my heart. The heart, of course, represents your core being. In the Bible, it's sometimes used to describe the emotions. It's sometimes used to describe the intellect. Sometimes it's used to describe the will. But here, it's all those things. We're to trust in the Lord in every aspect of our lives, our knowledge, our emotions, our intellect, our decision-making, in every circumstance, good or bad. When you came home and the teacher's given you merit marks or stars and you can't wait to tell your mum and dad. When you come home after you've been given a promotion at work and you're so excited. Or you come home with a black eye because you got into a fight. Or you come home because you've made been made redundant because of the financial squeeze. In good times and bad, I'm going to trust you with all my heart. Helplessly, face down. This is what the passage is talking about when it talks about trust. And in this passage, it tells you who to trust. It tells us to trust in the Lord. That's who we can trust. 
We can trust in who he is. Why? Because his promises are true. Because he laid the foundation of the earth. Because his steadfast love never ceases. It never fails. Because he never changes. Because he will never leave us or forsake us. Jesus Christ, yesterday, today, and forever, the same. That's why we trust in the Lord. The scriptures are full of the characteristics of God and who he is and what his love means for us. Romans 10 verse 11 puts it this way. Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Anyone who believes in him, anyone who trusts him, They will not be shamed, they'll not be disgraced, they'll not be disappointed. Psalms chapter 9 verse 10 says it like this. Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Well, there are so many of them in Scripture. Verses that encourage us to trust in the Lord. And you've probably got some of them on your fridge or maybe on a cross stitch, um, or or you were given as a wedding gift, or, or perhaps they're on a bookmark in your Bible. And some of those will be from here in Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. So the verses tell us who to trust, but they tell us who not to trust too. And you know what's coming. Lean not on your own understanding. Lean not on your own understanding. Don't trust that person you see in the mirror every day, every morning. You hear so many celebrities, don't you? Sports stars, actors, uh, singers, and and they say, you know, I've just got to believe in me. That's what counts deep down inside. It's up to me. I've got to do it. I've got to dig down deep and rely on me. Now, there are lots of places in Scripture that encourage us to have self confidence and good self-esteem because after all we're created uh, in the image of God the father who made us as David the psalmist declares we're, we're wonderfully and fearfully made we should think well of our standing but it's not about that nor is it about advocating that when we come into church or we go anywhere as Christians we kind of unscrew our brains and leave them at the door and pick them up again on the way out it's not saying that it's not saying if you're a Christian you take it all by blind faith and you don't use your brain that's not what it's saying at all what it's saying is don't rest on your own understanding talk to the Lord first Hear what he has to say. I mean, just think about it for a moment. For many of us who are in a difficult situation, some predicament today, it's our best thinking that got us there, right? The scripture says, do not lean on your own understanding. And why? Well, because God's ways are higher than our ways. Our finite minds, they're just that. They're finite. We can't fully see the big picture, but God can. God does. Do not lean on your own understanding. Turn to him, and not as a last resort. Do you turn to God first? Trust in him first, 
So many of us begin by relying on our own resources, and only when that doesn't work out do we turn to God. If only we turn to him first. True wisdom isn't found on the earth. Do you remember Job cried out in his anguish? This is what he said. But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? No mortal comprehends its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. living. Job couldn't find wisdom in people. He could only find it in God. And God's wisdom is infinite. You know, but what happens is we mix them up. We say to one another things like, yeah, I know I've got to listen to God, but, you know, in the real world, you've got to be practical, right? So we mix the two up. We do the Christian stuff. We might go to church. Uh, we might be in a small group. We might read the Bible. Well, that all goes with the job description, doesn't it, if you're a Christian? But we like to rest on our own efforts. We don't give ourselves up entirely. And the Bible has a word for that when we don't fully trust him. It's double-mindedness. James chapter 1, verse 6 and 8, it says this, You must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. And he carries on. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. We need to realize only God can save us. Only God can lead us. And only God is worthy of trusting. Don't be double-minded. One of the first Bible stories we ever learn as children is about Adam and Eve. And God made Adam and Eve. He put them in a beautiful garden. And uh, they had everything they could ever need. And he gave them one rule. Don't eat the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. Because if you do that, you'll die. Don't do that. Just one rule. You'd have thought they could live by one rule, but apparently not. One rule, but Adam and Eve decide they're going to rely on their own understanding. They decide that they know better than God. They decide it's not going to hurt anything. They decide it's just one little piece of fruit. They decide, come on, let's, let's just go for it. We'll be okay. They decide a talking serpent is going to be wiser than God. They decide that they can lean on their own understanding. And you know what? We've been paying for it ever since. That's why all of us are born into sin. That's why all of us are sinners by nature. Proverbs 28, chapter 26, it sums it up this way. In the most simple way, it says this. Those who trust in themselves are fools. But those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. Well, it can't get any simpler, can it? Those who trust in themselves are fools. When you're relying on your own understanding to get through problems, when you rely on your own understanding to navigate that road of life, the good times or the bad times, any time you or I end up relying on our own understanding, we are fools. So the Bible says, don't do that. Don't do that. God is whispering 
or sometimes shouting at us, trust me, I know what I'm doing. So that's the first thing that makes a difference in your life. It's who you trust. And we have to trust in the Lord. But the second thing, it's not just who you trust, it's how you trust. That's what makes a difference in your life. And we need to work out how we trust in the Lord. And to do that, we need to consistently, diligently seek and pursue God. We need to pursue his word and allow the power of the Holy Spirit to enter into us and work through us. We need the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and we need the power of his word consuming our hearts and minds and the fruits of the Spirit. They're coming out of our lives. That's what we want to see. The fruit of the Spirit coming out of our lives. That's why we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and kindness and peace and patience and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. And these are good things. I love it when Paul writes in Galatians, there's no law against these we need to trust the Lord with all our heart and to do that we need to consistently diligently seek and pursue God and you are never too young and you're never too old to start doing that whether you're seven or 70 have God's word near and dear that's how you trust in God we need to do it individually we need to do it in community both are important. We need to do it individually by being soaked in his word, not just for the sake of the knowledge, but for our heart's sake. You know, there are many people who know the word of God, but they don't allow it to move in their hearts to change them. And we need to do it in community. Here in church on a Sunday, great. But what about in one of our midweek small groups? or the Wednesday night prayer group. If you're not involved in those, um, well, you're missing out. Because one of the ways that you trust in the Lord is by doing it with other people. One of the ways we really grow in Christ and grow in our trust in him is by living our lives with other people. Uh, Other people who are relying on God, but not so we can sort of see how brilliant all that is, they can also share how sometimes they've relied on their own resources and they can share the pitfalls they've fallen into because of that. That's how you trust. We grow in Christ and we grow with one another. And thankfully, the passage gives us some ways we can trust in Christ. The first one is this, with all your heart. Not with half your heart or a little bit of your heart. Not when it's convenient for you or easy for you. You trust in the Lord with all your heart, with everything you have, with every fiber of your being. When the days are great, you trust him with all your heart. When you get that good news, when you pass that exam, when your team does well, when you get married, when that baby arrives, when the good times are in your life, you trust God with all your heart. And the days that hurt... In the days that feel so heavy, you don't know if you'll ever stop crying. You lie helplessly, face down, and you say, with all my heart, 
with all my heart. Just look at what Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 36. Peter asks him, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What's the greatest command? To love the Lord with all your heart. And he goes on to say this, not just with all your heart, but in all your ways submit to him. And he will make your path straight. In all your ways submit to him. Acknowledge him. Know him. Just circle that word all if you're making notes. Um, being in a relationship with him, praying to him, seeking him through the scriptures. It's not about knowing about him. It's about knowing him. God wants to have an intimate relationship with us. That's why some people miss out because they know about God, but they don't know God. It's not a personal relationship. It's something you've grown up with maybe, something you've done for years. Just Perhaps it revolves around going to church, but it's not revolving around growing up in Jesus. In all your ways, submit to him. Know him. So when you're victorious, submit to him. When you're defeated, submit to him. When you're happy, when you're sad, when you have plenty, when you're in need, when everything seems to be going right and when nothing seems to be going right. In all your ways, submit to him. You bring it before him, you lay it before him and you trust him that he sees the bigger picture, that he can catch you. He can catch you. And not just catch you, but lead you. Just listen to what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Let us press on to know the Lord, to trust in him. In all our ways, submit to him. So we started with the question, what makes a difference in your life? It's who you trust. But the second question is, what difference does it make in your life? Trusting, knowing, submitting to him. What difference does it really make in your life? Well, here's the difference it makes. Verse 6, he will make your paths straight. But listen, this does not mean that he'll make your life easy. That's not what it says. You already know that. He's not going to make your life comfortable. What he really means is he's going to make your paths straight. And ideally, theologically, what that means is he's going to make your path straight to him. Straight to him. And what looks like a crooked road to you, what looks like a dead end road to you, or a difficult path for you, I want to tell you from his perspective, it's a road leading straight to him. It's not leading straight to your success. It's not leading straight to your happiness, so to speak. Although, of course, if it's leading to God, trust me, it is leading to your happiness. But God will make your path straight, which means he'll bring comfort because he's in charge. He's the sovereign God and he's in control of everything. He brings comfort and he brings rest. Do not be anxious about anything. This is in Philippians chapter 4. But in every situation, 
by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He'll bring comfort because he's in charge. And on days when you feel broken and you're weeping because of what's going on or because of some news you've had, he won't take away the hurt necessarily, but he brings comfort in the midst of it and says, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm in charge. And even though you may not feel like it's better and you may not feel like the hurt has been removed, I can assure you the promise of Scripture in these verses says this, if we trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding and submit to him in all our ways, he will make our path straight to him. Straight to him. And he brings clarity because he leads you to himself. You see, God doesn't always remedy the situation that's terrible in your life, but what he does when you trust in him is he brings you up out of the fog and gives you perspective and direction, which brings clarity that says this, look, it may be tough, but it will end, and it's for your glory. It will bring you closer to me. And I'm speaking to believers here. He brings clarity for believers because He leads you to the path that leads straight to him. If you're not a believer, that may be difficult to understand. This this idea that although the bad situation doesn't go away, God can bring peace and even thankfulness. But can I encourage you to discover that peace and that purpose and that root map for your life? All a non-believer has to do is ask Jesus into your life. And you could do that today. And set your life off on a new path. And so I ask everyone this morning, what areas of your life do you need to start trusting in God? And children, is it something at school? Is it something to do with friendship or your parents? Is it the way you look? And older folk, is it something to do with relationships? Your marriage? Your parenting? Maybe something to do with your career? Um, Or perhaps it's your future, just the approach to getting older. What areas of your trust, of your life, right now, require trust? It's something we should all think through, I think. Whether you're riding the crest of a wave or crashing out in the surf, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, submit to him. And he will make straight your paths. Amen.